I'm going to start in a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive in as we look into God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, I do want to thank you so much for each and every person that is here this morning. Thank you for those church family members who are joining us online because they just can't be here. And we want to thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had already to worship you through song, to raise our hallelujahs to you because you, God Almighty, are the one who we are to be worshiping. You are worthy of all of our praise. I to thank you for the time that we've had this morning already to worship you through prayer. As many were praying along with Pastor Josh, just not listening to Pastor Josh pray, but engaging in a time of prayer. God, our heart's desire is that we would be a praying church, that we would be obedient to that. And as we look into your word this morning, God, we pray that you would help us to see how important it is to be a healthy body of believers as you've called us a body, the body of Christ. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open up the scriptures to us and help us to understand the importance in Christ's name. Amen. So I'm going to show you a picture, and I have permission to do this. Um, some of you, if you're a little skittish when it comes to injuries, then you might not like this too much, but I don't know, close your eyes, I guess. But this is my son's hand. Um, I went through something very similar to this with my pinky finger. We are sensitive to this. We are in tune to this. My son was playing rugby at Rugby Fest a few weeks ago, and he went to tackle a guy, or he was involved in kind of the process of bringing a, an opponent down. And when he got up, he realized that his thumb wasn't quite functioning the way that it was supposed to. It wasn't feeling quite right. Uh, he tried to continue to play, but it wasn't getting any better. And um, it wasn't really because it was paining him that he came off the field, but it was just because something was not right. And he thought maybe it was dislocated, and so he was kind of hoping that he could have it just kind of relocated by the paramedic that was on site. And so we walked him over to the paramedic, and his thumb was kind of hanging off of his hand. And when they tried to put it back in place, it would just kind of flop back again. And so the paramedic realized that that's not what he was going to do, was try to put that in place. And so um, my wife ended up taking him to the hospital. And then a few days later, this is what was happening. He had to get two pins into his thumb and into his hand so that his thumb would not be out of joint, would actually function properly. And so Lord willing, it'll heal properly. And with the right kind of physiotherapy, it'll be functioning normally. We understand when a part of our physical body is not operating correctly, is not functioning properly. We understand that. Many of us, as we get older, we feel the aches and pains. I was actually talking to somebody today, and they were mentioning that they were feeling some aches and pains this week. On, on Friday, I, on my day off, I was endeavoring to kind of get my deck prepped so I could stain it, and so I was doing some sanding on it, and I was down on my hands and knees, and I've been doing some stuff, and I was feeling it yesterday. My knees were hurting me. My hip was hurting me. It's because I'm getting old, I guess. You know, seeing pictures of me in that video there and looking at my beard, I'm thinking, wow, I got an awful lot of gray in my beard. That's, that's unfortunate. 
but I'm, I was in tune with the fact that the, my body was not feeling the best. It wasn't maybe functioning the way that it once did when I was younger. We understand that when it comes to the physical body, but do we understand how important that is when it comes to the body of Christ? Because as a church, we are described as and we are called the body of Christ in Scripture. And so we need to understand that the health of the body of Christ is infinitely more important than the health of our physical bodies. Being called the body of Christ is not the only way that the church is described. It's described as a family. It's described as the bride of Christ. It's described as the branches of a vine and so on. There are several metaphors. There's several illustrations for the, for the church in the New Testament. And the, the body of Christ is one of them. But it's super important that we understand what Scripture says when it describes the church as the body of Christ. We've already talked about the fact that in order to be a part of the, the body of Christ, as, as, in order to be a part of the family of God, we need to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That there has to come a point in time where we understand our sinfulness. We talked about the fact that, you know, we're, we're, we don't lie. We, we, we lie because we're a liar, not we're a liar because we lie. Right? That's just one aspect of it. But we are sinful in our hearts, and that sin separates us from a holy God. And Jesus Christ came and died on the cross of Calvary to purchase our freedom from sin. He rescued us from sin. And so we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We rest in the fact that Christ did it all for us. And when we do that, when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that, the, that God raised him from the dead, it tells us that we're a believer, that we're a part of the church family, that we're a part of the body of Christ. And Paul, in a couple different places, describes the church as the body he describes the church as the whole body in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31. And there he talks about the fact that how crazy it is if the physical body or the parts of the physical body acted this way. He says, you know, what would it be like if the eye said, well, because I'm not a foot, then I'm not valuable to the body. Or if I'm not a hand... I'm not valuable to the body. And he talks about the fact that the individual members of the body are important and necessary for the proper function of the body. And we would say, well, that would be ridiculous if your eye said, well, you know, because I'm not a hand, I'm just, I'm worthless. We know how important our eyesight is. You know, if our hand said, well, because I'm not a foot, I'm not really useful, I think we all have a pretty good idea of whether or not our hand is useful and when it's functioning properly. And so Paul goes on and talks in that passage about how important it is that as members of the body, we're using the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us so that we build up the body. In Ephesians chapter 4, where we are today, Paul continues to talk about the health of the body. 
Now in this passage and in, in a passage in Colossians, he talks about the fact that Christ is the head of the body. And so he's not talking about the kind of the whole body, but he's talking about the body with Christ as the head of that body. And we need to give honor to Christ as the head of the body. And he starts off our passage in Ephesians 4, and we're going to be really jumping into the midway uh, part of Ephesians 4, but he starts off the chapter by saying, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling that you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of, uh, of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So he's talking about how it's important that we as a body of believers, if we have put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we live the calling that God has placed on our lives. And then we work down into the passage where we're going to be starting and we're going to talk about the pattern that God has laid out for the body to be healthy. And then we're going to touch on the purpose behind that pattern. And so follow along with me. I'm going to start in verse 11, and I'm going to read to the end of verse 16. And he says this, He himself, Jesus, is who he's talking about here. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be like little children tossed by waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ for from him the whole body, fit and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. In this passage, we see how important it is that the body of Christ be healthy and mature and unified. And God has set a pattern for how that happens. Before we dive into the pattern, I just want to give you a brief little bit of, of uh, clarification here because he lists four groups. He says he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And we're going to get into the faith when we talk about this because it talks about the importance of, of, of understanding a unity in the faith. And when we're talking about the faith, we're talking about proper doctrine, and I'm actually going to give you some proper doctrine. We've actually been working through proper doctrine, actually, when we've been talking about the church, because we want to have a, a proper understanding biblically of what the church is and how it functions and what God has called the church to do. So it's important that we understand something right off the bat. There are two groups mentioned right at the very beginning of this list, apostles and prophets, and we need to understand the place that they serve in the church. We need to understand, first of all, when it comes to apostles, and I'm going to just give you four things. Firstly, apostles have been chosen, called, and sent forth by Christ himself. They received their commission directly from him. John 6, 70 John 13, 18, John 15, 16, and so on. 
These were a very specific group of people. We're talking about the 12 plus Paul. There are not apostles today, though there are some churches that teach that. They would not have biblical grounds to teach that. They may pull up passages of scripture where in all English translations that I've looked up, the word messenger is mentioned. They'll say, well, the Greek word there is is apostle in a sense. And they try to apply that to today when they're not talking really about the 12 apostles and Paul. They're talking about messengers. People like individuals in the New Testament that carried the letters from, say, Paul to the church so that the church can be instructed on some things. And because they were called a messenger, but the Greek word happens to be apostle, they say, ah, see, they're apostles. And so they're apostles today. But we need to understand that the 12 apostles and Paul were apostles that were directly chosen, called, and sent forth by Christ himself. Secondly, they were qualified for their tasks by Jesus and having been ear and eye witnesses of his words and deeds and specifically they were witnesses of his resurrection. That makes it a very specific group of people that could apply for this job, so to speak. Galatians 12, 1, 12 tells us that. Ephesians 3, 2 through 8 says that. Acts 1, 8 says that. Thirdly, God blesses their work, confirming its value by means of signs and miracles, giving them much fruit upon their labors. They were given opportunities to do miracles and signs and wonders. Why? To validate the message of the gospel as they were starting the church. God sent these apostles out, what? To preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who had no idea who Christ was because it was the starting point of the church. And God enabled them to do miraculous things. Why? To validate the message. Not just for the sake of miracles. And lastly, their office was not restricted to the local church. They actually served for the the universal body of believers. They, They served the church universal in the first century. And their period of ministry only lasted as long as their life. They didn't pass it along to other people. It's interesting, if you read Paul and you see Paul's interaction with guys like Timothy and Titus, two young men that he trained for ministry, not once did he endow them with apostleship. He taught them many things. He told them how to go into the churches and, 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 and set up the elders in those churches, but not once did he ever endow apostleship to them. Because those guys weren't called to be apostles. Paul was. And so they're not apostles today. There are some that try to use that term in, in, in the realm of church planting ministry. That's just confusing and it doesn't help the church when people use those terms and churches use those terms. It just confuses people. So we want to make sure that we understand that. Prophets, prophets in the New Testament and in the Old Testament were used to present God's will to believers in the present tense, the foretelling of God's will, and then sometimes they predicted the future, which is the foretelling. Ephesians 2.20 actually states that the church was founded on the apostles and the prophets with Jesus, their cornerstone. That gives us an indication that their ministry was kind of one and done. Okay, God... 
enable somebody to prophesy today? Sure, he could if he wanted to. But new revelation from God is not necessary anymore because we have the written word of God. We have the whole story right here, all that we need to know. And so we need to understand that. Just by clarification, really, if you're looking in the New Testament, there's one prophet that's mentioned by name. His name's Agabus. There's some others that are mentioned just kind of, it says Agabus and, and the prophets and other prophets, but Agabus is the only prophet that's ever mentioned in the New Testament. He's mentioned by name in Acts eleven twenty eight, where he prophesies a famine in the Roman world and helps the church be prepared for that. And then he prophesies in Acts 21, verses 10 and 11, and he describes the way that Paul will be bound as a prisoner. That's the extent of his ministry that we know of, that God has chosen to reveal in his word to us. But he, like the apostles, had a very limited time where they ministered, and it was for the starting the foundation of the church, and then when they passed on, the Lord has used the other two groups that are mentioned here, evangelists and pastors, teachers. We know of evangelists today. I'm sure you could probably think of a few that come to your mind where God has sent them as their ministry to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to win people to Christ, that's their, that's their ministry. They go from church to church, or community to community, and they preach the gospel, and people get saved, and they help start churches. That, that's the evangelism ministry. By the way, as believers, if we know Christ as our Savior, we are all called to be evangelists. But there are some who God has specifically called to do that as their overall ministry, full time, all the time college that I went to, we would regularly have evangelists come in and preach and share their ministry, and we had an opportunity to hear what they did. So God has called evangelists to help build the church and build up the church and equip the saints, and then you have pastors and teachers. And so the pattern that God has laid out for us with these two last groups of people, evangelists and pastors and teachers, is threefold. The pattern is this, equipping, serving, and building. That's the pattern for the body of Christ. Equipping, serving, and building. And then the purpose behind that is for the unity of the faith, the knowledge of Christ, and maturity. So let me just quickly kind of hit on the equipping, the serving, and the building before we see that purpose behind it. First of all, equipping pastors and teachers are, provide, are to provide leadership and spiritual resources for the saints. Leadership and spiritual resources for the saints. Pastors and teachers are to demonstrate an obedience to God's word and living a pattern of godliness so that the church body can see that and follow that example. Paul says that to Timothy. He says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Why? Paul's goal was to live for Christ, to be as obedient to Christ as possible, to let Christ rule and reign in his life and direct him. And then he says, Timothy, follow my example as I follow Christ. He was setting leadership for Timothy, a young man that was being trained and equipped. What did, do? What did Paul do over and over again? He went to place after place after place and taught the word of God to people. 
Paul won many people for Christ, but he also took time to stay in an area and to teach the church that was growing in that area the word of God. He was equipping them. Why? So that they could serve God appropriately. That's what pastors and teachers do. They equip the body to serve and to build each other up. Equipping refers to that which is to fit something or restore it to its original creation or condition or to make it complete. So those that are equipping you, the pastors and the teachers, are endeavoring to do that by teaching you the Word of God appropriately. We endeavor to do that here as elders and pastors, but teachers and life groups, that's what we're endeavoring to do and we're encouraging you to be a part of a Bible study that opens the Word of God and says, this is what, the God, what God's Word says, this is why we should obey it, this is why we should live by it. It's the desire to equip the body properly. 1 Corinthians 1, 10, Paul says this, to a church that was completely very dysfunctional. He says, I, 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 now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say and that there be no divisions among you and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. They were a church that was not in the right condition. And he was seeking to restore them to the condition that they were supposed to be in. A church that was unified in their understanding of the gospel. A church that was unified in their understanding of scripture. A church that was pulling together and working together because you know what? He had heard that there were divisions in that church. That there were some that were patting themselves on the back saying, hey, I'm of, of Paul. And some would say, I'm of Apollos. And the real spiritual ones were saying, hey, I'm of Jesus. And really they were just all warring against each other. They were mishandling the Lord's Supper. They had sin in their, in their church that Paul says even the Gentiles don't engage in. What was Paul endeavoring to do? He's endeavoring to equip that church. Why? So that he would restore them or help restore them to where they should have been. That's equipping. Hebrews 13 The writer of Hebrews says this at the very end of his letter here. He says, now may the God of peace who brought, brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you in everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What was this the writer of Hebrews endeavoring to do, equip them with everything good to do God's will. That was what he was striving to do. First, it happens through the word of God. Secondly, it happens through prayer. Equipping is the work of leading the saints from sin to obedience. One of the aspects of that is to teach and challenge the church to be a praying church, to be praying for each other, to be praying with each other. Because, you know, when we're, when we're on our knees and we're praying with each other and we're praying for each other, we're building each other up, we're equipping each other. 
We're supporting one another. One of the things that we've been trying to do on our Tuesday evenings, shameless plug for Tuesday evening prayer, which will continue through the summer, just so you know, you should be out. But one of the things that we've honestly been trying to do is not just pray for the typical prayer requests. We actually don't take prayer requests. We have things that we already pray for, but what we are endeavoring to do is to pray for believers to grow in their spiritual lives. That if we are praying for somebody who has an illness or is going through a difficult time, we're not just praying that they would be healed from their illness, but that God would give them grace through that and that through that trial, through that turmoil, through that, that, that situation that they're agonizing in, what are we doing? We're praying that God would use that to strengthen their faith because it's not just about being healed. It's not just about having grief, or, uh, comfort in, in times of grief, but that a believer will be built up in their faith in the midst of all of that. That's proper prayer. We oftentimes as Christians spend an awful lot of time praying other Christians out of heaven instead of praying for them to have that godly testimony and have that godly walk with Christ while they're going through whatever it is that they're going through that may actually wind up in them going on and being with God in glory, which is the best place for them to be. And I don't mean that in any callous or heartless way. Just to have a proper perspective on prayer which equips the body. It's number one in the pattern that God's laid out for us. Secondly, as believers and the saints are being equipped, it's for what purpose? It's for service. It's for the work of the ministry. It's so important for Christians to serve others. And let's be honest, it's not always fun to serve others. Not really, we're not really called necessarily to have fun. We're called to serve others, and sometimes that's hard work. Sometimes we don't feel like it. It's absolutely important that we serve others in the body of Christ. As Paul had already emphasized to the Corinthian church, that God has given each one of us as believers at least one spiritual gift. This is a gift of the Holy Spirit that he's given to us. It could be helps, it could be administration, it could be teaching, it could be hospitality. There's a whole bunch of different gifts listed in Scripture. There's, there's, it's actually not an exhaustive list by any stretch. But God has gifted you as a believer. And you're responsible to actually use that gift to serve the body of Christ and to build up the body of Christ. How are you doing that? If God has given you the gift of teaching and you can understand Scripture and that you can communicate Scripture to people, my question for you is, are you teaching the Word of God then to build up the body? Now, maybe you're doing that in your home. You're doing that faithfully in your home with your spouse and your children. You're teaching the Word of God, and so you're building up the body of believers in your home. But let me encourage you. Maybe God is calling you to be a teacher here a true life church. Because there's plenty of opportunities for you to teach. Maybe God's given you the gift of helps. And so you're great at just working behind the scenes and helping people out. And God's laying on your heart to serve other people in that way. There's some folks in, in, in this church that just amaze me. They, they're retired, but every time I'm talking to them, they're out helping somebody do something. 
cutting down trees, hauling wood, doing this and that and the other. They're busier now in their retirement than they were when they were working. Why? Because they have the gift of helps and God has laid that on their heart and they are faithfully using that to build the body. And it's super encouraging. See, God has give us, given us gifts and we are to use that to serve the body of Christ. You know what? In order to serve, you really need to understand the attitude behind that service that God's calling us to. And one of the best places where that is exemplified is in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And I just want to read the first verse, first three, uh, two verses. It says this, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. He says, a person should think of us, Paul and his companions, in this way, as servants of Christ and managers of the mystery of God. In this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. He uses the word servant here. You need to understand the gravity behind the word that Paul has intentionally chosen to use. He uses what we use as the word servant in our translation, but in the Greek, it actually is referring to a phrase called under rowers. It was the lowest tier slaves on a Greek ship. They were the most menial, the most despised, the most unenvied slaves on a ship. They were the lowest of the low. When the ship went down, who was the first to, to drown? The under rowers. Paul says, you need to think of us this way. We are the most menial servants in the kingdom. And this was coming from a guy who who God called to be an apostle. Where in our culture, we would be putting him on a pedestal, you know, and, and we would be looking for every tweet that comes on his Twitter feed, or we'd be watching every TikTok video that he posts because he's an influencer. And Paul's saying, you need to think of me as an under rower here. I'm the most menial servant. I'm just doing what God has called me to do. That's the attitude of those that would be serving in the body of Christ. Paul talked about that at the very beginning of the passage that we're looking at today. He was talking about it. He says, there, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy to your, uh, of your calling that you have received with all humility and gentleness. By the way, that's Christ's example. Christ humbled himself. Attendance, I came across this from one of my commentary, uh, commentaries. Appreciated what the commentary writer said here. He says, attendance at church is a poor substitute for participation in ministry. Pretty pointed statement. Attendance at church is a poor substitute for participation in ministry. We need to be serving. Why? Because as we serve each other, we're building up the body of Christ. That happens externally through evangelism. And as I've said, we're all called to be evangelists. We're all called to be soul winners. And so the body builds up externally by new people coming to Christ and coming into the fellowship. But our responsibility is also to build each other up internally. Nurturing one another, caring for one another, supporting one another. As Paul talks about it here, like ligaments that support Joints in the body. My son understands what it's like when a limb or a part of the body is not being supported. 
He needs pins to do that. Being injured. We as a body of Christ, there are injured people here that God is maybe calling you to come alongside and support and build up and encourage. And as we understand God's pattern for the body, let's just quickly look at the purpose. Three things, unity of the faith, knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and maturity. And I just want to read these verses as we close. It says this, Then you will no longer be little children tossed by waves and blown around by every uh, wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness and the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love. Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. As this pattern happens, this is what ends up happening. There's a unity in the faith. There's a deeper, fuller understanding of the gospel and the word of God. We are then able to stand firm as a body of believers when different, various, false teachings come in and we can say, no, we've been building each other up. We've been getting into God's word. We've been studying it. We're supporting one another. And so when something comes across our path and maybe somebody in our church comes, comes on this thing that, that's an improper teaching, that's, that's a corruption of the word of God, we can come alongside and say, hey, you know, that's not right. Remember what the word of God says? Remember that this is not exactly what the word of God is teaching here? I came across this progressive Christian writer who was talking about Eve eating the fruit in the garden. And not talking about it as if it was sin, but in fact that she was, that was her unreached potential and that in fact it was actually right for her to eat that fruit so that she could fully understand what she was missing out on. That is absolutely false teaching from Scripture. Absolutely corrupt. And yet this teaching is pervading in the church. It's pervasive in a lot of churches in North America. It's stuff like this. Came across another guy who calls himself a Christian but talks about the fact that Paul couldn't quite communicate in Romans properly what the Dalai Lama could communicate. That you need to know the law so you know how to break the law of Scripture. Absolute foolishness. We need to be unified in understanding what right doctrine is, knowing what the Word of God teaches The church in Corinth was a prime example. Disunity comes from doctrinal ignorance and spiritual immaturity. So Paul had to write to these believers and help them to understand. I encourage you at some point, maybe this week, to read Colossians 2, verses 4 through 23, where Paul takes time to talk to the Colossian church and remind them of proper doctrine. Why? Because there was false teaching that was infecting that church. And he was helping them to see what proper doctrine and what right faith is so that they could navigate that. We have unity in the faith when we come to a full and deep knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know who Christ is. We know why he came. We know what he taught. We know that the whole scriptures points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of Jesus encountering the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. 
And they were amazed at how Jesus opened up the entire Old Testament and helped them to see how it pointed to him. And they said, didn't our hearts burn within us when Jesus was teaching us this? We are on fire for God when we enter into a close, personal, deep knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, that promotes maturity where we're not little children anymore. We're not tossed about. But as we're mature, we are, for him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament. As we are mature, we know how to look after one another. We know how to work together. Maturity and unity are measured in terms of relationship of the body to the head Christ. Goes right back to the start of what Paul was talking about here, where he says that we are to live worthy of the calling that we have received. Mature people, they live according to the calling that we have received from the Lord Jesus Christ. I think of, in closing, a passage in, in, in Hebrews, where the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter, four verse, or Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. He's talking about understanding fatherly discipline from God in a proper way understanding that it's necessary for us. But then he says this at the very end of the passage. He says, Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. See, mature believers help those who are weak in their faith not be dislocated from the faith. But we help strengthen tired hands and weaken knees and we support one another. That's maturity. And that's, what's called, that's what God is calling us as the body of Christ to be and to do. Are you allowing yourself to be equipped by those who, who God has called to equip you? Are you serving God the way that God is calling you to serve? Are you using your spiritual gifts? And are you building up the body? If somebody was looking at you as you call yourself a Christian... Would your life reflect the fact that you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ? Would somebody say, you know what, that person, they're mature in their faith. They understand what they believe, and they live it out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you desire to teach us by your word. God, I pray that this church family would be a healthy, mature body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would always be about being equipped to serve the way that you've called us to serve so that we can build each other up, not tear each other down, not cause each other to stumble, but that we would be strengthening tired hands and that we would be strengthening weakened knees and that we would make it, be making sure that no one is dislocated but that they would be firmed up. And we thank you for your word in Christ's name. Amen.